0: Welcome to the Guardian Mindset Podcast, presented by attorney Eric Daigle.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the next episode of the Guardian Mindset Podcast. And this one, I'm I'm very humbled and honored to have an old friend and a, an amazing law enforcement executive uh, who has recently been promoted uh, and took on a new position as the executive director of FBI Liga. Uh, I'll introduce him as Jax Batiste, and look, I did get your name right this time, Jax. Uh, and uh, I will give him an
0: opportunity to say hello. And let's start out with uh, good morning, Jax. How are you, sir? Good morning, sir. How are you? And uh, good morning to everyone that's in your podcast arena and out there in radio and wherever else they're listening in.
1: Well, let's start with the with the most important, and that is uh, congratulations on your new appointment to the executive director of FBI, Lita, I'm very happy to have you on board. As the listeners know, um, yes, I've been working with Lita for somewhere around 15 years as their general counsel and instructor in the distance learning program. And uh, I've known Jocks for, for a good five to eight years, but I'm very happy to have his guidance, direction, and knowledge uh, as the leader of FBI Lita. So welcome aboard, Jax. How's your uh, how's your first couple of months been?
0: Uh, I've actually hit the seven-week mark, and it has been tremendous so far. And before we move further, thank you so much for welcoming me, not only into the position, but always being a good steward and doing what's right and helping law enforcement to keep advancing. I really appreciate you and everything the Bagel Group and uh, your podcast do for us in the law enforcement. Well, thank community. you. So thank, thank you.
1: Well, we're we're only as good as the people that we facilitate. So that's the that's the easy part here, and that is uh, taking your time out of a busy day to be involved in it is is great. Why don't we do a second here since I did introduce you, uh, yes. and now the listeners are probably intrigued a little bit and should check out FBI Leader, the Law Enforcement Executive Development Association. Uh, do you want to just give a little overview of LIDA uh, and what LIDA does for the listeners?
0: Sure. Um, thank you for that opportunity. Um, since I've been here, one of the biggest things I want to do is make sure people have a clear understanding of what the brand, FBI LIDA, does. It is not an a organization that's trying to compete with some of the other law enforcement think tanks and or promotional tanks. FBI LIDA has basically taken on the mantle and the reign of building law enforcement to be better leaders, both at the upper level, echelon level, through their executive level um, instruction, as well as their command level for mid-level rank and their strategic or uh, supervisory level, sergeants and above. We're actually looking to doing that because in today's changing socioeconomics, we need a smarter police officer. We need an officer that is more gifted, and understanding the lay of the land, understanding community, awareness, outreach, but more importantly, being a leader, not just for those around him or her in the law enforcement community, but in the community itself that they serve. So leader was designed to not be as intrinsic with, with instruction as, say, an FBI National Academy, where you go for 12 or 13 weeks in a sequestered environment. It's a design where you can take your police department and or officers and through a period of time and series of different courses offered regionally, develop the forensics for getting what's called the Trilogy Award or completion of all three levels to become a Trilogy Award winner that makes you recognized as a superior in leadership development and design, not just for yourself, but for your department as a whole.
1: Yeah. And uh, I'm an all in. We we have had the honor of having Tom Stone as a guest in this podcast and and talking yes. about the development of FBI leader. And, and you know, you and I both consider him to be the godfather of FBI leader. Uh, yes, and so uh, also another area that I'm I'm humbled that uh, that uh, Jock has given me the authority to continue is the online portion. Um, we do host. Some online training for supervisory uh, liability, advanced supervisory liability, ethics, First mm-hmm. Amendment. And the goal is to, to, you know, we do know across the industry that we're having some challenges right now, a lot of challenges. And one of them is short staffing. And so finding ways to remember, everybody, the key part is you just don't get to stop training, right? You just don't you have to continue to to build your skill set. It's a profession. Can we treat it like one? Can we treat it like that skill set? Now, yeah. Jock said something that I truly appreciate, which is the building of officers because that's truly his background. And so what I'd like you to do, and I know, I, I, Jox, I know I've known you for a long time. I know one of the most difficult things to say to you is, is talk about yourself, which is makes you one of the most humblest guys I've ever met but we're going to see if I can get you out of your shell a little bit because okay. your experience, uh, is phenomenal. What you've done in your career is, you know, hopefully someday you're going to write a book. That's, that's the key. Right. Uh, so would you share with the listeners, you know, your wonderful experience through this world of law enforcement?
0: And thank you, sir. Uh, I will humbly do my best to do so without boring your audience. Um, a young man by the name of Jacques Batiste embarked on law enforcement by first going to law school, getting his law degree, working for the city attorney's office of New Orleans. At I'm that sorry. time, <laughs> well, at that time they were going through a huge manpower shortage with law enforcement, with having enough police officers. So the the city attorney and the mayor went across the board talking to all the city employees, anyone interested in becoming a police officer, even as a reserve duty or full-time, we will be interested in entertaining. So I put my hand up, always was curious about the profession, uh, grew up in a family of service-oriented uh, law enforcement and military uh, persons, and wanted to give, give a little more than just being an attorney in the city of New Orleans. So went through an abbreviated uh, training academy, and became a police officer working from roughly 3 p.m. to, um, I'm sorry, working roughly from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. every every night, five days a week, and then working as a uh, assistant city attorney during the day from roughly 8 in the morning till about 2 in the afternoon. So I was working about 80 hours a week for the city of New Orleans. Really got a good understanding of people, got a good understanding of what the law enforcement profession as well as the legal profession both represented. And it was a good baseline for me to start to understand why people think the way they do, why they do what they do, and why so many officers are either misunderstood or misunderstand what their roles are in the community. Because if you can police in New Orleans, which is probably one of the best police departments in the country, but also one of the most problematic, you can police anywhere in this country. And I survived for roughly about three and a half years and uh, before I burned out and ended up leaving the area to go to work for a private law firm in Washington, D.C., handling civil rights cases for the Department of Justice. Uh, again, brought that same fervor that I had in New Orleans with me to D.C. And while representing myself on a case, I got the opportunity to work with an FBI agent on a civil rights violation case of a police officer who had violated a young man's rights and was so intrigued by the Bureau that I ended up uh, being uh, offered an opportunity as a conditional hire, and became a special agent with the FBI. Spent 23 years with them roughly, traveled the world working domestic terrorism, international terrorism, undercover drugs, uh, kidnappings, bank robberies, everything you see in the television or read about it in the newspaper and or in books, pretty much I got an opportunity to touch on SWAT, critical internet response, bomb tech, render safe or weapons of mass destruction, working crimes all around the, uh, around the globe. Um, as I got older, I got smarter and realized I didn't wanna be on the broken end of a bottle every day on this job and decided to push towards working with what was called uh, the, the director's office to of partnership engagement where I had an opportunity to cross over as a liaison to all of the police organizations, ICP, FBI LEA, NEIA, national sheriffs, and be a conduit for the FBI and enhance their relationships with federal, state, and local, other federal, state, and local offices. I also had the opportunity to cross over as a liaison to Fortune 500 companies, FedEx security, the airline security areas, Disney, all of these places, and build the Bureau's um, bona fides with those organizations as well. That was where I had the opportunity to meet FBI leader Tom Stone, Donna Stone, and, of course, the world-famous Eric Daigle, and Uh, attending several ICE. uh, Checks on the way. Yeah, don't worry. Two Ts and Batiste. All right. (laughs) but had the opportunity to meet three incredible people who helped kind of get me to understand and see firsthand what Lita dealt with. And I was intrigued with Lita because instead of teaching officers muscle memory of how to be police officers, Lita was attacking it from a cognitive and a forensic thinking aspect. Teaching people how to lead from the front, making them more self-aware, making them more aware of their skill sets to lead people, to show people their guardian guardian, as well as their warrior mentality, help makes for a better police officer. So early on, I identified with the leader mantra. Now, of course, when I retired from the Bureau after 23 years, still had a lot of energy. So had the opportunity to go back to my old university in New Orleans, my uh, alma mater, Xavier University. I became the chief of police there. Stayed for about two years and really turn the police department around, turned the crime around, not only on the campus, but in the community. And a lot of that was due to reading articles that Lita put out, interacting with several law enforcement officials in the area of New Orleans that had attended Lita-based courses. Uh, State police, New Orleans police, Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office, uh, Orleans Parish Sheriff's, all of these entities had one thing in common with some of their top performers. And that was that they were leader graduates or trilogy awardees. And also, of course, having the National Academy mantra as well, the yellow brick and having the plaque for that as well. But it was always the leader brand that seemed to set them distinguishably apart from other leaders that I have the opportunity to meet in law enforcement. So got got uh took a change in course with... Uh, the university, difference of opinion on safety, um, defending my officers from a thought process that police should be more security and not law enforcement, state-certified officers, and ended up parting ways with my alma mater. Went over to the New Orleans Constable's office, where I became their tactical and training coordinator, had the opportunity there to, say, to take the same leader understanding, leadership development and start getting officers or deputy constables to start thinking broader than just handcuffs and and arrests. Think about how you're affecting the community. Think about how you lead in the community. How do you make yourself a better brand? And worked with them to a certain point where we were being requested for state responses to different entities because we had such a proven track record as being true uh, and... For better choice of words, true lighthouses in the community. People actually trusted the department as a result of the better level of credibility we brought to the job. Uh, at that point, knew I wanted to leave Louisiana, had the opportunity for the first time to really branch back into the chief's position, took a job with the Glen County Police Department down in Georgia. For those of you who don't know, Glen County was where the Ahmad Arbery Situation occurred where the young man was chased down and killed by three individuals while jogging through a neighborhood. Uh, Became the first chief of color there in 102 years of the department's inception. Uh, Stayed there for about 23 months. Cultivating that, building the trust between the community and the department. Rebuilding and retooling the department. Again, FBI leader standards. Several graduates of Trilogy came through that department as well. The department as a whole had some dark sides to it, but overall, I had a bunch of really true, hardworking, independent leaders there who wanted to give better, wanted to be better, wanted to do better for the community. Stayed there, like I said, for about 23 months until I got a generous offer to compete for the position of executive director for FBI Lita. and here I am today sitting with you and your audience. Yeah. And very, very thankful for God's blessings every day.
1: Well, you know, this is what I truly enjoy about you. And, and I'm going to steal your quote there. And that might actually be the title of this podcast, the, the Lighthouse to the Community. and And one of the things that I find so beneficial is in all of the jobs that you have had, you have been the liaison, the catalyst, the the negotiator, the mediator between many different sides and especially things mm-hmm. that are very um, contentious in our, in our law enforcement world. Like we don't mince yes, words here. We're not afraid to talk about issues like race and we're not afraid to talk about issue about use of force and right. and and you know, first amendment rights because there are real issues in law enforcement. So let's start out. I warmed you up nicely, right? And we all agree with that? yes sir yes sir all right so let's get to some really meat and potatoes where your benefit is going to be uh very essential okay in your career what would you identify as the most significant developments that you've seen in policing over the years
0: Uh, uh the most significant developments of course have been community trust Um, building a better rapport, going back to old-school fundamental policing of learning everyone in your community, getting officers out of their cars and back on the street, interacting with the youth, having a conduit where we can be police officers one minute, but we can also be problem solvers in so many other arenas. Um, And those were different things that I've noticed have changed intrinsically over the, the last couple of years, especially with the level of uh, different events, heartbreaking events we've seen. The George Floyds, the 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 uh, most recent case in Memphis uh, or in Tennessee that they ruled on the other day with um, the young lady, uh, I'm sorry, Louisville, Louisville, forgive me. Louisville, yeah. Oh. Brianna Taylor. Correct, correct. And then down in Orlando, Tyree Nichols and, and a lot of it's, challenges goes on and on and on, which has forced law enforcement to understand one thing. We understand how the profession of policing began, but more importantly, we have this opportunity now to be more than just enforcers. We have to come to terms with our implicit biasness or biases that we have. We have to come to terms with wanting to be more good stewards towards a guardian relationship with the community and not so much a warrior relationship. Yeah, don't get me wrong. When we have to put the thump down or we have to be those warriors, I'm all in favor of making people understand you took it there, not us. But in the same breath, we have to be more sympathetic to what the community is going through. These are changing socioeconomic times that have driven policing to have to change also we can no longer come in with a nail and a sledgehammer approach. We have to almost use a forensic ball-peen hammer, very tiny, but very effective sometimes, and be more so akin enough or astute enough to sometimes recognize we have to manage our own personnel and staff and cultivate them, that human capital in policing better than what we do with the community. If we bring smarter or train smarter police officers how to use their minds and their mouths as weapons to defend the community, as opposed to always going to lethal action and or aggressive action in some cases, then it builds for a better trust between the community and the individual. And we will never be perfect in their eyesight, but no career is ever perfect. We are fallible. Law enforcement is entitled to make mistakes. How we grow from those mistakes, how we change our views, our beliefs, our understandings, or what make us be better or what we do, much like the military. Right. The military is always changing, but the military has been around since the beginning of this country. We have to be able to be prepared to be the same, but we have to do so by understanding we can't just do it with one segment of people, one segment of thinking. We have to be multiversed Again, various dynamics, culturally, racially, politically, socially, and economically in understanding what's driving the issues we're seeing today in law enforcement. Retention, recruiting are two of the huge things I've watched that had to change. We have to now grow our human capital for law enforcement and not just get them in the door to sit in those seats, but find the very best to take on the position of law enforcement, but not lower our standards of what we should be hiring to fill a seat. I would rather have five hard hitting officers who make an occasional mistake than an individual who comes for 20 years and does nothing but is not effective in helping change the dynamic of policing either. So we really have to put that under a microscope now on how we do things. And those are just some of the things I've noticed as changes in today's world and policing, especially. Yeah. I mean, we must recognize this to be a
1: profession and that profession requires professionalism and, yes. uh, and a, a broader range of our officers who are embracing the job. They understand yes. the skill set. Yes. They yes. Understand, and, and that's, and that's why we call this the guardian mindset podcast. The podcast, My philosophies, I'm a huge fan of Sir Robert Peel and and the Guardian philosophies. Yes, sir. Right. You know, we are Guardians that sometimes got to get warrior-like, but the concept is just there. Yes, sir. Now, you've had a... Let's start with the executive level experience. You know, some of your executive level experience has been challenging and watching it from the outside and just being your friend. Um, uh, The... One of the things that I'm seeing nowadays is that a lot of people are being promoted to executive level positions and, and because there's an opening and not that they're not amazing people and that they don't have a lot of skill set, but the question we always ask is, are they ready to handle the responsibilities at that CEO level Um, in all of your projects? You, you've kind of been the, the change agent. Would you agree with that?
0: Uh, yes, Xavier, I was a change agent because the police department uh, had the, the sudden loss of their chief of police. But before then, they had had issues with the the, the students and trust and especially the community surrounding the university. Um, with Glen County, it was a change agent that was needed because the community was screaming for certain changes within the department. Uh, with the FBI daily. You have to be a change agent, depending on who your audience is, as well as who your future partner and collaborative partners are. And you have to be smart enough to recognize that each group that you work with may have the same issues, but they're just different catalysts for driving them to the issues they're having. Right. They have desires too. Yes, sir. They want to get something out of it always yeah. and at the at the end of the day eric here is here is the real thing people need to remember it's not about really the economics it's not really about the race it's simply about the fact that people no matter who they are deserve the same level of respect it's all about respect everyone wants to feel like they have value wants to feel everyone wants to feel like they have um, have the ability to help make effective change And if you're a person who is bringing up points of value that no one wants to see recognize or accept and you continue to bang your head against a locker, your final outcome is to possibly turn to violence or criminal action because you're so frustrated with the system that refuses to recognize you as a valued as a valued entity in the community. And that's where we are. We have to learn to recognize that no matter what the zip code says, no matter what the tax returns say, if you don't come from a Fortune 500 company or from a Section 8 community, you have value no matter where you come from. And we're all equal in that aspect. Yeah. So,
1: you know, you may not know it because it's kind of just you, but if somebody asked you when you walked into these areas and recognized the challenges, whether it was lack of respect in the community, internal, external, because there could be many projects uh, and problems in any department, because it's, it's just human nature. Right. Um, If somebody asked you a general question, like, what did you focus on? What was your, What was your blueprint for making that change and getting the community to recognize the professionalism of the officers and getting the officers to recognize the importance of in partnering with the community?
0: One of the first things I had to do, let's take Glen County for instance. The community's major concerns were they saw the police they saw the cars all the time, but there was no interaction between law enforcement and the community. They would drive through the neighborhoods. They would not interact. And I wasn't asking that the officers get out and go up to each door, ring the doorbell and introduce themselves. But just riding through a neighborhood when you see people, just a simple wave to acknowledge them and let them know you see them and they see you, sometimes is all it takes. I right. mean, you're going into an establishment and you're in uniform and you hold that door for that person coming out, whether male or female, or you speak to someone, that changes the trajectory of that person's thinking, not just for that moment, but possibly for the rest of their life. So getting officers to understand in Glenn County, for instance, that they have the power in their hands to change people's understanding, not just of the job, but the fact that police officers are human, too. If they have kids, they go to school, they pay taxes, they have the same problems that everybody in the community has at the same time. But they have been given a special advantage in that they're in a trusted position to make physical differences in a community. And I I tell people all the time, and I share with people all the time, the opportunities you have to change someone's thinking is based upon that first 10 seconds of interaction you have with that person. In policing, we know within the first five or 10 seconds when we encounter someone based upon their attitude, if they're gonna be a problem or possibly even going to jail, just on how they carry themselves. People use the same evaluation of police based upon how they see them the first 10 seconds. And that drives some people to become naturally aggressive, are naturally resistant to what that officer is trying to get them to do. If you just learn how to talk with people, so I made sure officers were receiving uh, conflict resolution or uh, verbal judo, getting them to understand cultural differences in the community, giving them the power and giving the community the same lessons of implicit bias and understanding, just like you have so many issues you have with the police, we may have the same issues with you, but the fact that no one has sat down to talk about them. So have structured workshops with your community where they can come in and sit down and talk to officers and see both sides of the fence and officers can learn from the community just as much as the community can learn from the officers. I yeah. share people I share with people all the time that the ability to change a person's views is simply in how you talk to them. And we have to become stakeholders in the community that we drive through, patrol. And that's the difference with some police officers. If they go to a particular area that they patrol every day, but they don't live in that community, they can never truly understand what that community is dealing with. So they have to be invested in that community more than just responding to calls. They have to be at the town hall meetings. They have to possibly go to a church meeting or service every now and then. Go to the high school. Go to the elementary schools. Interact with the kids. Talk to them. I mentored along with being a chief of police. Once a week, we were over at one of the area schools where the kids were problematic in their areas. But if you took the time to talk with them, chop it up, learn what was driving them to do what they do, you'll find out. They weren't receiving that baseline they needed from the classes they were in. So if you give them the same hope that you want for your officers, but you give it to these young folks, you may get one or two positives out of it that go on to become good people who actually change your culture, as opposed to being what we see as criminal or problematic. So, Or a police we, officer. Or a police officer. More so officer. I mean, that's how we all got here, right? Yep. You have a background in law enforcement the same way I do. And those training officers you had coming up, that frontline officer you met the first day you were on the job in a uniform, you're scared to death when you report your first day because you don't know what's expected of you and you certainly don't know what they're expecting of you. So the people you interact with within the first one to two years of your policing career beyond your probationary period are often the ones that will guide your trajectory from your career. So Lita has recognized that. And I'm going to shamelessly put a plug in by saying we're Quite not, all int- day. <laughs> we're not <laughs> introducing 10 new frontline courses that will help Lita reach departments, whether you're sheriff's department, police department, or any other area of law enforcement, even possibly corporate security. But the first one is a CDI course on sensitivity and bias training, helping officers to understand today's cultural and bias issues, to be better thinkers, to be better stewards, to be better responders to situations. Not just on the, in the community, but possibly within their own department itself. Recognizing those officers that have those negativities, and helping them to change in the process. The other course that we're looking at rolling out is called a frontline leadership, where we're going straight after the boot or the recruit all the way up to the rank of sergeant. Our patrol divisions and our departments are the first and last line of defense for how the community sees policing. That is absolutely true. If we're training that first, second, third, through seventh year officer, on better leadership skills and better outreach skills. We're improving our cultural growth and our human capital growth with the community a hundredfold over the next 15 years because we're making them smart enough to stave off a lot of the issues they have that they normally would have their first couple of years in law enforcement. So those are... Building a profession. Yeah. Those are my two shameless plugs.
1: Yeah, and you know... Sir Robert Peel said it all the time. The police are the public and the public are the police. And and we have yep. to integrate. And, I, and the sad part is, you know, as we've watched in the 80s and 90s, where I think we did a great job of getting out of the car and maybe it was a personality, maybe it was yes. A, yes. A, a, a just what we felt comfortable with. But now it seems that it's almost frustrating to me and probably to you, too, where where. It's like a perfect storm the the criticism, the negatives are on top to, on top with personalities who are not comfortable just correct. getting out of the car and interacting with people and, and and it's not a it's not a program it's not a it's not a it's a philosophy it's a every everyday
0: philosophy correct and it's also a generational thing in today's society we're so driven by this little device that sure. If it doesn't come across the screen or we hear it through the phone, it didn't happen or it doesn't exist. We are driven by technology. We are driven by social media. We are driven by the information highway called the internet, which is a revolutionary product in its design, but it's also going to be and has been our undoing in a lot of cases because of the negative rhetoric and the negative connotations that have come across through this instrumentation. We say things to people through that phone, through texting, through emails, we would never dare say to their face. Right. Because you might get punched in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we use that as a crux now. One of the, one of the biggest things I had to contend with in Glen County was the constant fervor of social media that drove not just the board of commissioners and sometimes in their decision making. but but government as a whole, because people are so worried about the negative feedback. Instead of just doing the right thing and sticking by your moral ethics, they're worried about how it's going to affect the audience. And we have allowed that in national ways. Uh, The media has driven how policing effectively works today also in a lot of the cases, because we're more worried about how our appearance is. Than how we're actually doing the job.
1: Let's take that to the next level, then, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, thousands of listeners to this will never have this opportunity. But I want to see if I can give it to them anyway. Um, if you had a chance, and I and I know often you and I sit down to have lunch and have conversations and 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 push things off of each other, but mm-hmm. if a young officer, a year or two on the job, had the opportunity to sit down with you. And, and really have a conversation and say, Chief, you got a lot of experience. Uh what 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 advice or recommendations would you give to me as I start out in my career, as I hope to have a long career like you, what 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 would you recommend for me to get the most out of this and be the best officer?
0: Uh, first and foremost, be true to yourself ask yourself why you joined this profession. It's not for everyone. If you were last picked for kickball growing up as a kid, or you were bullied all the time, policing is not the job for you. Because often a lot, some people who will become officers, it's because they're trying to gain their respect through the profession that they've chosen. Policing is a very sacrificing career. You give so much to it. That's the second thing I want them to understand. You have to find a balance between the work you do and your personal life and how to separate the two. Too many officers get so wound around the axle of the job that they do, they lose sight of the more important things like family, like social and outlets, like doing things for peace of mind, not just for the mind the thinking, but for the heart and the body. Develop a good physical fitness program for yourself. But most importantly, I would make that officer understand, it's okay to make a mistake. As long as you own it, you recognize what it is you did wrong, and you understand the consequences for what it is. And it's easier for you to be truthful about that mistake than to try to lie and cover it up. Because the more you try to cover something up, the worse it makes, not just for you, but for that brand you represent. And that's the fourth and final thing I want the officer to understand. Yes, you have been entrusted with a high level of responsibility in being a law enforcement officer in this country, representing right and wrong, ethics and morals. But you have to remember how you act in that uniform is only half of how the public perceives you. It's when you're not in that uniform and people know who and what you do that affects them and their thinking. So you have to be willing to remain in a positive mindset, off-duty as well as on-duty, and more so be responsible off-duty than you do in on-duty capacity. You may want to be like your friends running around imbibing and doing other things, but you can't. Right. And policing- You made this choice. Yeah, policing sometimes makes you lose friends, people you grew up with. When you make that choice, that this is your career, you'll find that it becomes a very lonely career because a lot of people don't want to be around law enforcement officers, especially in today's world of free trade, pharmaceuticals, and everything else of that nature. So you have to be prepared to stand alone in your thinking as long as it's the right
1: thing. Yeah, you you said something. Mm -hmm. Oops, sorry, I cut you off there. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You said something before, which I thought was very important in in Glenn County, where you had a lot of social media and media pressure. Uh, we see that a lot of places in the country. If this same young officer looked at you and said, listen, chief, uh, all this media and social media, negative uh, calling us out, attacking us, you know, uh, how do how do you deal with that? How, how does an how does an officer deal with that? What advice can you give me?
0: You have to develop thick thick skin. Uh, I was prepared taking that job for the, the attacks. I wasn't prepared for it to be so much coming from inside my own department as I was from the community. And it was relentless from the mystery writers who would submit emails and letters to the Board of Commissioners about their thoughts and feelings about how I was doing my job. And for 23 months, I stuck with it. But I suddenly realized one day when I woke up and said, you know what? Sometimes you got to know when to say when. And I got the department to this point where they're about to be reaccredited and recertified as a police department because they had lost those things through bad choices. And maybe that's what my goal was all along, maybe to be there for a season and not for a lifetime. So you've got to also know when to walk away from the profession of law enforcement. Right. And I'd rather have an officer come in my office and say, Chief, I've been with you for four years, but this isn't for me anymore. My thoughts and goals and views have changed, and I'm going to seek another life elsewhere. I applaud that officer, especially leaving the- Yeah, he's thinking- He's thinking, she's thinking, but it's right. the ones that continue to do the job full of bitterness, hatred, and and just feeling that they can't make a change, make a difference, but they're going to do the job anyway. That's destructive to the profession. And yeah. the those that are around them that see them like this and do nothing to help them, they're creating just as much of a problem for the community as well as for the department. One of the biggest biggest problems I had in Glenn County was, was I blue state or red state. That seemed to be a major contention for people. Well, are you blue or red? I'm like, I'm neither. Look at that American flag we say the Pledge of Allegiance to every time we have a council meeting. I represent the blue, I represent the red, but I also represent the white. And all three of those colors that come together form a union that has driven this country for 400 plus years to be what it is today. So I represent the rich, the poor, the, the beaten, the entitled, I represent everyone. And I see people as equal. I don't see one as having more inalienable rights than any other. And that's where policing has got to develop to see it as a colorless but Uh, I lost my train of thought, but the opportunity to help all people because that's what the true profession calls for. Helping everyone, not just those that can afford it, helping everyone to have a better life.
1: Well, so it's, it's service forgive to the community. Me. Yeah. That's that's the number one job here. All right. Forgive one last forgive me for last thought process. Whoops no. sorry. No, no, I was saying forgive me for
0: my brain fault. there. Oh, that's okay. We
1: I fully understand that. All right. So as we're sitting here now, as you know, I'm not a negative person. There's always got to be positive somewhere. You just got to find it. You got to drill through it. Yes, sir. Uh, What does the future of law enforcement look like to you?
0: When I look at these young officers, because I had the opportunity to speak at one of the graduations at the Georgia Post Training Academy, and I saw a class of 67 or eight, 70 something officers representing the various departments throughout Southeast Georgia. And I looked at those young faces of those men and women. And in there, I saw a sprinkling of maybe two or three that were not young men or young women, but were up in age that had decided to take on the profession at a 50 plus, you know, outlook. I saw hope in those faces. I saw hope of young people as well as those up in age who were both chosen to take that career under their wing and help to continue to build this country, to be as great as it has been and as great as it should be and as great as it will be by staying the course. Right. Always doing what's right, even when no one sees you. Doing what's right. Basic standards of ethics. Always being true to yourself when no one else is around, but being true to yourself more so when everyone is in plain sight. I saw that in those faces. I gave analogies while I was there. That speech I read, people came up to me, total strangers, from the audience, and thanked me because they had never heard anything like that before. And I was just simply speaking facts to them. Reality sometimes is the very hardest thing for people to swallow. It's easier for them to live in a cloud-filled, mist-filled room than it is for them to see the clarity of the sun and the brightness that it brings, and the issues that they're facing. Yep. And yeah, and we—that is we, absolutely true. We have to be stronger than that as a profession, as a people. As and I a, think we are, as a professional. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think you know. I, I lately I've been
1: using the theme, the theme that uh, you know, metal tested becomes stronger. You you. We are being tested, but there's a benefit of that, and we have to see the benefit, which is mm-hmm. which is you know you're good versus yeah. wondering if you're good. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's the benefit. I used to hold people to the hot water and tea bag test. You never know how strong or how weak a person is until you put them in some hot water. Right, and they'll either percolate down and become a very strong cup of hot tea. Or there'll be a very weak cup of hot tea, depending on how they deal with what they're facing. That's a great analogy.
1: All right, with that, you know, Chuck, I appreciate your time. Uh, I appreciate all you do at FBI Lita, and I strongly yes. encourage everybody to go in there and check out FBI Lita. And I give you a last uh, opportunity to say
0: uh, say your farewell, and uh, I thank yes. you for your time today. Yes. I I thank you for this opportunity. I never thought that this would be something I would be doing with you, but I just wanna say to you uh, and to your audience, this is a changing time for us. We have the power to take back the perception of the community if we do it in such a way that we're working with the community and not as a result of the community. If we show them we're willing to work alongside and build a new utopia, I think the world could be a much brighter place. It starts with respect, it ends with respect. I encourage you if you don't know about FBI leader for your department or yourself as a law enforcement officer, look into it. Education helps the mind grow. And once you have an educated mind, it helps you to develop a whole different list of morals and fiber that make you become a better person, not just in the profession, but in the life you lead every day amongst your peers. Perfection. Can I quote
1: that and put that out that way? Cause that is just perfect. I like that. Yes, sir. Uh,
0: How do you need to use it?
1: All right, Jack. Thank you very much for your time. I truly appreciate your time and uh, hope to see you soon, my friend. Likewise, sir. Thank you so much. The Guardian Mindset Podcast is sponsored by the DLG Learning Center. You can find us at www.dlglearningcenter.com. On the Learning Center you can find an extensive library of articles, webinars, and online training. Listen, if you find the podcast informative, I'd recommend checking out our weekly Path of the Guardian video training and our monthly supervisory continued education program. These programs can be purchased by single users or department-wide. And if you want easy access to articles and information, please download the Daigle Law Group app through either your Apple App Store or your Google App Store. And remember, help those who need your help, protect those who need your protection, and most importantly, keep yourself and others safe.